Good afternoon, Storehouse. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Today, we will be going through 1 Corinthians, all of chapter 3. So, bear with me here. <laughs> and so it says, But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For, one, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will be disclosed, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know what you are, God's temple, and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That was a, hey, good job, Tony. Um, if you just walked in and didn't catch that, that's weird. But we're going to find ourselves in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, all of chapter 3, as Tony just finished reading. And so as you open or load your Bible, thank you all for being here, the faithful, the true, to whoever's playing today. Um, I got one update for you all. Uh, when you walked in, you might have seen these devotionals. These are our holy season devotionals. Um, these are for you. It's our gift to you. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, we develop content. We write a ton of different kind of content for you because we want you to grow as disciples who know and live like Jesus. And so part of what we enjoy doing, and when I say we, we have this entire team that is devoted to pumping out this kind of content. Um, when it comes to you growing as disciples, we want to help in producing gospel-centered content. And so these devotionals are free 99. They are for you. It's first come, first serve. Don't get up right now because everybody's going to look at you. And then if there are any uh, devotionals that, or if we run out of devotionals, you could always visit the website and download it for free. All of that is on there 
for you. This, this one is really cool because uh, we start off this coming Wednesday with uh, the season of Lent, and it will, this, these devotionals, that is, carry us all the way to Resurrection Sunday. Uh, this was certainly a labor of love this past year. Uh, we've added a lot more uh, elements to these devotionals, so I hope that you are blessed by them. Uh, and be sure when you flip through it to not just dig into the content, uh, but pay attention to the contributors. And if you know them, make sure you say thank you to them because they put in a ton of work when it came to writing all of this content for you. And so with that being said, let me pray. Once more, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, and I'll pray and then we'll dig into our time. God, we are so thankful uh, for you. Um, over and over again, um, I'm reminded of the words from the Psalms uh, that read that you are good and you do good. Therefore, as we worship you through your word, would you open our eyes and hearts? Would you be at work in us so that our eyes would be redirected to Jesus? As a result, that we may praise your name this afternoon. Uh, that we would give you glory, and ultimately that your word would be sweeter than the taste of honey. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So when I worked out of uh, college station in my 20s, I was invited to an Aggies uh, football game. And, uh, and as I was invited, it wasn't too long before I was immersed in uh, this incredible worship experience. The crowd uh, at, at, I think it was called Kyle Field, the, the crowd wasn't just loud, it was roaring, right? The, the, the tradition that is Texas A&M wasn't simply deep, it was contagious. I don't even watch football, and I was screaming for these people. Um, and, and the loyalty of this team wasn't assumed, it was expected. Now, if you didn't know, I learned this three days ago, but today is the Super Bowl. And uh, there's an estimated 114 million viewers who are going to be watching this game. And so you can expect some of these traits of the roaring crowd, of the tradition, of the allegiances from these teams taking effect in tonight's game. And what's going to be even more wild, I don't know if you're going to read headlines afterwards if you're that kind of individual, but what's going to be even more wild is that there will be fans tonight who are going to go at it with one another for one reason. They're wearing different jerseys. That's gonna be the biggest reason. And those fans aren't just there for an experience. They are there watching or present. They are there because of devotion. And so rather than, the irony is, rather than a love for the game, people are going to gather together and be divided not because they disagree with how to play the game, but because of allegiance towards specific teams. Similarly, division is something that plagues the church. It plagues the church in Corinth. Paul returns to this theme of division regularly in 1 Corinthians, but throughout the entire New Testament, because whether it's the early church or the church at present day, it seems to be something we just can't get past. You see, when it comes to unity in the church, it's one of the ways in which God's character is reflected to a watching world. 
The issue at Corinth is that they are divided not because of disagreements, but because of allegiances within the church. Allegiances apart from Christ. In chapter one, Paul appeals to the Corinthians. He appeals to them for unity, to come together under the banner of Christ and him crucified. That expression is said throughout chapter one and throughout chapter two. He keeps coming back to this idea that the cross is what is central to Christianity. The message of the gospel is at the core of what we believe and who we are. In chapter one, he appeals to unity. In chapter three, which we find ourselves in today, he's unpacking why they are divided. And so before we move on, I know I'm gonna sound a little repetitive, but it's almost, it's not almost, it is intentional. And here's what I mean. You and I need to reckon with something. Division in the church, or let me say it this way, the heart of division in the church isn't disagreement, it's allegiances to something apart from Christ. That's what plagues the church. It's not that the church isn't united. Jesus has done that through his work on the cross for sinners, but it is that we are so active at dividing the church ourselves. The heart of division isn't disagreement, but allegiance apart from Christ. Said it differently, at the core of division isn't disagreement, but pride. That's what's at the core, it is pride. And so in our time, I wanna point out four principles for what causes division in the church. And we're tackling this entire chapter because this isn't the first time or the last time that Paul is going to address unity. We saw that in chapter one, we're looking at it in chapter three, he brings it back up in 11 and in 12 and in several other areas throughout this letter. So we're gonna revisit this because it, again, it's something that plagues the church. So let's begin with how Paul addresses the Corinthians. This is uh, verse one, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Let's begin with the word brothers. It's important because Paul isn't just, or Paul isn't scolding them because he can. He genuinely loves the Corinthians. He wants them to grow in their understanding of the gospel. He wants to address difficult topics and he wants to help correct them. He's not scolding them. In a nutshell, the problem with the Corinthians is that they are out of step with the gospel. Something else has caught their affection. Something else has caught their devotion, their delight, and their pledging allegiance, so to speak, to that. There is something that is calling them, or maybe yet there's something that beckons their worship, and in their pride, they're thinking, that's better than Jesus. And so that's what Paul is getting at. So as a loving brother, he says, uh, and I love this, right, because he's like, brothers, and you think he's gonna be really pastoral, and he says, you're being infants. That's how he opens up this first section. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. In other words, What he's saying is, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but you are acting like children. You are spiritually immature. 
You are acting immaturely in the way in which you engage one another. And the reason he's tackling this topic at the beginning of the letter is because he wants you and I to see that division causes immaturity. And so they're unable to address one another. So Paul even goes on to say by saying, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and you're still not ready for it. So their, their immaturity is flowing from a lack of growth uh, and devotion to the gospel in the things of God. They, they rather be associated with their allegiances than Jesus himself. And so when Paul questions them by saying, are you not being merely human, right? Verse four, when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? In other words, that word human means that they're responding in the flesh. They're responding like unbelievers. They're responding like children. They're responding like kids who are throwing a fit and bickering at one another. Again, for the Corinthians, rather than growing in their knowledge, their devotion, and understanding of Christ, rather than drinking deeply from the word of God, they're more concerned with who is associated with what teacher and what kind of influence that brings for them. To the Galatians, it's a really long list, but in Galatians 5, here's what Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. So you got the work of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit and then the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, here it is, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. It's similar to what Paul is calling them out here in 1 Corinthians 3, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Paul is saying the way you're responding to one another, the way you're engaging one another, isn't just a reflection of your lack of growth in the gospel. It's showing me where you're really at. It's showing me that rather than responding graciously out of the work of the spirit, you're responding out of the flesh. You're responding like someone who you used to be. You're responding like a kid. When we don't grow in the depths of the gospel, when we don't drink deeply from the word of God for us, we're going to be tempted to associate not with the word of God, but with the wisdom of other teachers, other preachers, speakers, cultural values, something else apart from Christ. The result isn't only an immature faith, but also immaturity in the way we engage one another. Division in the church is caused by immaturity. In the next section, verses five through nine, what you're gonna notice as we continue with these principles is that each one, each cause for division builds on top of one another. And so in verses five through nine, we're going to see that immaturity produces, I couldn't think of a better word, fanatics. And I'll tell you what I mean in a little bit. Immaturity produces fanatics. Consider verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So here's what's going on. The Corinthians are trying to pit Paul and Apollos against one another. They're trying to pit them against one another because they want to pledge allegiance to one of them. They rather associate with one of them because of their influence, because of their style of teaching, because of who they are, because they were baptized by one of them. They rather associate with their style of preaching rather than the one they're preaching about, right? And so Paul shuts this down by making him and Apollos less than. And so he goes on to say, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. He's like, you know what we are? We're nothing but servants. To you, you think we're superstars. I'm telling you, we're nothing but servants. The church doesn't need superstars. We need more servants. Paul is telling them, hey, God called us to you, but ultimately all of this was a work of God. Paul says, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody telling everybody about a somebody. That's what Paul's doing. He's like, I'm not a superstar. He continues, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul's saying, hey, we we had a role in seeing you come to faith, but I didn't save you. It was the Lord. The growth that I saw you have, the kind of response I saw you have in the gospel was because God caused that. Man, I was just a faithful farmer planting seeds, right? Apollos was another farmer who was all about watering. But at the end of the day, the one that gave the growth was the Lord. The Corinthians have a higher view of preachers like Paul and Apollos more than they do Jesus. See, for the Corinthians, they rather make servants superstars than praise the Savior. And so they elevate themselves pridefully and their association with these teachers because it gives them worth and status. And so their pride increases. Again, the Corinthians are far more concerned with being fanatics instead of farmers, right? They want to be fanboys of Paul, fanboys of of Apollos, and Paul's saying, I'm nothing but a farmer. They're far more concerned with being fanatics instead of farmers. Well, what does it look like to farm? It means cultivating the word in our lives daily tilling the soil of our hearts with the word, preaching the word to one another and to ourselves, praying the word, and seeing that God causes growth. Verse eight, Paul tells them that he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. A farmer's motivation is faithfulness. That's it. Because he knows he's not the one that causes growth. The Lord does. And so in this, Paul's reminding them, you know what God is really after? He's really after you. 
he is committed to his people. He is committed to your good. He is committed to your growth. When we're fanatics instead of farmers, not only are we out of step with the gospel, but we create what some might call tribes within the church. If you're not familiar with that language, just think cliques. <laughs> we create cliques within the church. And whether tribes or cliques, in order for them to thrive, in order for them to become alive, they need two things, a shared interest and communication. That's what makes a tribe click. That's what makes a click uh, thrive. And so how does it happen? Ambushing other believers, isolating other individuals, and telling them, hey, we're gonna, I don't really like this thing that the pastor said, or did you hear what this pastor online said? What if we start to develop this little group, right? Oftentimes, tribes and cliques lack accountability. They hate correction. They don't want to be guided by the body. When we do that, because we'd rather be fanatics and fanboys over farmers, we strive to produce our own growth. I'm a get it done, self-motivator, I'm a authenticate myself, I'm a do my own self-help kind of thing. So we strive to produce our own hope and we lack reliability on the spirit and one another. When we strive to produce our own growth, it's then difficult for you and I to set aside our own differences because now I'm operating out of a tribe that I'm pledging allegiance to more than Christ. And then when we do that, when we create cliques or tribes, one of the other things that gets really muddy is obedience. Because rather than obeying the word, we might say, well, that's not what so-and-so said, so I don't have to do it. So now we're muddying obedience and we're confusing holiness. If you wanna grow in maturity and servanthood, so we looked at immaturity briefly, but if you wanna grow in maturity, if you wanna grow in servanthood, then we must resource our growth by not looking to superstars, but the savior. Not towards the way kids act, but the king. See, immaturity and being a fanatic happens when we forget the length God has gone to call us to himself. And as a result, we're entrusting others with our growth rather than the giver of our growth. And so Jesus tells his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know the opposite of abide? It's to wither. That's the opposite. So when we create cliques because, of, uh, because we're fanatics, or when we decide to forfeit our growth in the gospel, it creates division within the church. Number three, this is found in verses 10 through 17. 
Now, as I mentioned, every reason is going to build on top of one another. And so here uh, in this section, we're going to see that division is caused by poor and faulty foundations. So to kind of recap, immaturity leads to fanatics, right? So division is caused by immaturity. Division is called by fanatics, right? Here, what we're going to see is that fanatics lead to poorly constructed foundations. That's a mouthful. I just, I just noticed that. I'm going to do it again. Fanatics lead to poorly constructed foundations. Let's look at verse 10. Paul says, according to the grace of God, he's like, hey man, this is what God has entrusted me with. This is what he has gifted me in. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone, is, someone else is building upon it. Right? So right off the bat, Paul is telling the Corinthians, hey, let me tell you what my role was. Okay? He uses kind of the language of architecture here. And so he's ultimately saying, let me tell you what my role was. My role was to plant the seeds of the gospel in hopes that Christ would save you. And my goal was to lay a thick slab of a foundation, not one that is found in me, but one that is on Jesus Christ. So he continues, for no one, and we're going to come back to this, but for no one, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? So Paul is saying, when I came here, my goal was to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's my goal. That's how you build a structurally safe, stable, dependent foundation. It's on Jesus. On top of that, right, you were given the blueprints. Maybe it was Apollos who came back and taught them, right? And you're wondering, well, what are the blueprints? The blueprints are the gospel. So Paul says, I laid down a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus. You have the blueprints to build on that foundation, and the blueprint is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, chapters one and two, Christ and him crucified. That is what we preach. And so Paul is saying, you have the foundation. You have the blueprints. And what's really intimate about this is that, as one writer says, we're not invited to build our own foundations. Paul's not giving them an option. As Christians, we're going to build our foundation upon that which is Jesus. We're going to use the gospel in order to build that foundation healthily, interdependently. We'll get to that in a minute. But again, here in those two little verses, Paul isn't giving them the option to build on whatever your foundation, whatever you want your foundation to be. You see, the foundation of Jesus in the gospel brings stability to a church. It brings unity. It brings reconciliation. We're united under the truth of the gospel. We have meaningful relationships because of the gospel. And in the midst of life's storms, we're unshaken. And so he says, now if anyone builds upon, upon the foundation, so now he's talking about responsibility of the church. He also added in the verses before, let each one take care how he builds upon it. So Paul gives a warning with love, but he's giving a warning on how to build the church on the foundation that has been laid. And the reason he does it this way, he says, take caution, is because one of two things are gonna happen. You ready? First, there will be some 
who will build their foundation on imperishable materials. Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, there are gonna be some that build on the foundation that is Jesus with imperishable materials. And so he uses gold, silver, and precious stones as images to show stability and, and to show foundation, right? So that's one. The second thing is that there are gonna be some who build on this foundation with perishable materials. So he adds gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. All right, here's what Paul's saying. On the day when the Lord returns, we will be judged. It doesn't mean that we are not saved, but we will be judged. And what we've built our life around, what we've oriented our lives around, will be revealed. There will be some who will orient their lives around imperishable material. And it will show, and God will be pleased, and they will be rewarded. There will be others who will have built their foundation on perishable material, that on the day it will be burned. And what that's going to show is that the life you were given was wasted. Now, that sounds harsh. Let's finish this section. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, will be revealed by fire. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself is saved, but at only as through fire. He's not talking about salvation by works here. Remember, he's talking to Christians. So here Paul is saying, I'm not saying that you're not saved, but if you orient your life around a different foundation, around wood, straw, and hay, it will be revealed on the last day. And what will be revealed is that all of that work was done in vain. You were on that treadmill, but never went anywhere. It sounds harsh, but God takes his church seriously. Verses 16 and 17, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The spirit dwells in us, meaning that we can respond to his work in us, but when we choose not to, when we choose to do our own thing, Thing, we're not just simply building on our own foundations. We're choosing to ignore the Holy Spirit and ignore one another. And what you think you're doing by yourself, because you think this is my own thing, in reality has effects on everyone else around you. Building on something apart from the foundation that is Jesus 
is destructive. And God takes that seriously because he takes holiness seriously because he himself is holy. And whether it's now or on that day, judgment awaits that person. Listen, when we decide to build on our own foundation apart from Jesus, insert whatever it is you want, I don't care how good it is, family, cultural values, political ideologies, social issues, relational idolatry, your career, your finances, whatever it is, you're not simply walking in isolation but in independence from the church and from the spirit. See, scripture doesn't call the church to independence, but to interdependence. To live independently from one another is to embrace our own individualism. I get what I want, I want my personal happiness, I wanna do what I think works for me. It's to embrace your entitlement, I think I deserve this, I've worked for this, God will understand. To embrace independence is to live arrogantly within the body as you call it good. Consider a marriage. And for the most part, a husband and wife do not live independently from one another. They live interdependently with one another. If I were to tell my wife, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, what does that then say upon the foundation upon which we stand? Those are two different foundations. What does that then say about what we believe about God? That we'd rather be on two different foundations. That's what the Corinthians are doing. They want to build a life of identity apart from Jesus. Why do we do that? We build foundations of independence and individualism because we don't like the fact that we're not Lord of our foundation. Some of you are here. You're not only walking independently from one another, you're walking in isolation. And that's a very, very dangerous place for you to be. You orient your life apart from the foundation of Christ and the blueprint of the gospel. And you know this happens, or you know when you do this, when someone corrects you or holds you accountable and you become defensive. Because what matters most to you is your personal happiness and whatever you think you're entitled to. What matters to you is not holiness. There will come a time where the foundation will be revealed in spite of all the Christian things you've done. The Corinthians are trying to build a foundation or they're trying to build on a foundation apart from Christ so that they would have a meaningful identity, something to set them apart from everyone else. And Paul is saying, you already have an identity that is in Christ. He has done this work for you. 
You are already set apart because of his work for you. He calls you holy because he is holy. And some of you, some of us want to build our identity or a foundation so that we would have a meaningful identity, so that we would have purpose. And Paul is saying, hey, the Spirit is telling you, hey, that's already done for you. In Jesus, you have been given a new identity. One of the ways in which a child knows that they are a son or a daughter is by the way the parent loves that child. So the parent is the one that gives the child identity. Likewise, we are sons and daughters by the way the father has loved us through the son. You have a new identity. You don't have to build another one. Division in the church is caused when we build upon poor and faulty foundations. And finally, verses 18 to 23. A poor foundation ultimately produces a loss of identity. Because something or someone has captured your affection and your allegiance. And so the more we orient our lives to that apart from Christ, our identity in Christ is easily forgotten. It's easily assumed. And sadly for some, eventually lost. And so Paul begins, verse 18, as he's summarizing everything, let no one deceive himself. In the Greek, that's notagas. Right? So he's like summarizing it that way. He's like, notagas. In other words, uh, we've just walked from immaturity to, to fanaticism uh, to, to building on poor foundations, and you're still striving to do your thing. He's like, notagas, don't deceive yourself, don't willingly choose ignorance. Right? And so he continues, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And so what the Corinthians are doing is they're adopting wisdom and knowledge of this age. In other words, something outside of the gospel. Not that it's not good, not that knowledge outside of the gospel isn't meaningful, but they're, again, trying to build their lives around that. They're trying to build their lives around what the world says they ought to be. They're trying to build themselves around what culture says they could be. Just like often in the valley, we try to build our lives around what our families say it ought to be, around what Walter Mercado says it has to be, right? The idea here is that it will be revealed, right? That's why he quotes the Old Testament by saying it is written, he catches the wise in the craftiness. And so it's like, I'm going to be wise and I'm going to try to create this foundation apart from Christ and he's not going to know about it because I got all, it's going to work, I promise. This system that I've developed, I totally ran it by uh, Google and it's going to work and I think it's going to produce some really good lasting fruit and my life will finally have meaningfulness. And what Paul is saying is God is watching all of that and you would be better off a fool 
if, you, if you're looking for wisdom, you would be better off a fool. Why? As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, because the gospel turns everything on its head, upside down, and inside out. You want worth and meaning based on what the world is saying you should be, you should pursue, but really what the gospel says is, hey, actually, that's flipped upside down. The worth and meaning that you're gonna find is found in Christ as he reconciles, restores us, whatever you wanna use, reconciles us to this relationship with the Father. So to orient your life around something outside of the gospel is not only to dismiss the gifts of God, but also to risk losing your identity, not salvifically, but just you forget. It's lost. It's not as loud anymore. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Paul returns to this, Paul returns them to their identity. Hey, I don't want you to boast in men. I don't want you to boast in the philosophers, right? In our day, it'd be like, I don't want you to boast in uh, the Pat Max, the Jocko Wilkins. I don't want you to boast in, in the, the Jordan Petersons, right? Um, don't boast in men. I don't want you to boast on the Johnny Max, the John Pipers, the, the, the Matt Chandlers, the R.C. Sproles, the individuals from these denominations, whatever it is that you're watching, that's the last thing that you need to be boasting on. I don't want you to boast in the self-help stuff and the stuff that's in the Christian living, but it really finds itself under social uh, <laughs> kind of living. I don't want you to boast in anything other than Jesus. It is Jesus that is giving you this growth. It is Jesus that has changed your heart. It is Jesus that has saved you. And so he's returning to let me tell you who you are. Don't boast in men. In fact, boast in Christ because he is the one that has ultimately done a work in you. And so he concludes with verses uh, 21, yeah, 21 into to 23. He, he concludes by saying, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. He's saying, look at what God has done for you. Everything is yours. Servants to preach the word. Uh, the world is yours because now you have the spirit of God dwelling in you so you can live in this world with your eyes wide open because of God's truth in you. This life that you find yourself in, it can have meaning because of the foundation upon which it is built. As a Christian, you don't have to worry about death because Jesus has conquered death for you. You don't have to worry about the future because it's sealed, it's solid, it's stable, it's for you. The present, now you can live in a way that glorifies God because you couldn't before. But God, who is rich in mercy has saved you and called you out of spiritual death into spiritual life. All is yours. You belong to Jesus just like Jesus belongs to God. God is giving you everything. You do not have to build on faulty foundation. God is giving you everything, therefore you are new. God is giving you everything, so you don't have to be a, a fanatic. God has given you everything so that you can grow in maturity. When we forget that, division takes place. Division can be caused by loss of identity. The heart of division isn't disagreement, church. It's pride. 
whether it's intellectual, personal, relational, preferential, your spouse, whatever, distracting, pride. And so here's why it matters. When we are divided because of our pride, this is inside the walls of the church. When we are divided because of our pride, we preach a sermon to the watching world and to one another that Jesus and holiness are optional. That holiness is nothing more than an item on a spiritual menu that is your Bible. If holiness is optional, then everything is compromised. Our growth, how we engage one another, our foundation, our mission, it's compromised. Here's the good news. In this spiritual construction project, we must realize and remember that God is so committed to us, his church, that he laid down his life as the very foundation for our identity, our stability, and our reconciliation. Listen, everything is calling your attention right now. Whether it's your own pride or your preferences, whether it's the Super Bowl or the temptation of your sin right now, everything calls for your attention. If we had to summarize chapter three, especially the end, Paul is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't want us to be a church with the sign in front of the lawn or at our office that reads a house divided. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Everything will beckon for your attention. But why is it, why, why is the praise of the Super Bowl for football players that we've never met, why is that greater than the praises of saints to their Savior? Why are our praises to the teachings of under-shepherds greater than our praises for the great shepherd? Why do you build independently apart from Christ as opposed to interdependently, brick by brick on top of one another. Why do you consider the wisdom of this age more meaningful than the sweet words of God that literally bring life to dead bones? You are the fruit of that. So Christian, when you consider these divisions, immaturity, fanatics, poor foundations, loss of identity. Do you see yourself in any one of these? Do you see yourself in any one of these divisions? And do you think it only affects you? Let me invite you to turn to Jesus, to repent of your sin, to redirect your hearts, to reorient your life around Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, look at you. You could have been at the Super Bowl. 
if the church has been a poor example, I'm, I'm really sorry because you know, look, we're, we're recovering hypocrites. Um, but we do not build our lives around what we want the church to be. Rather, we orient our lives around the one who built his church. And his name is Jesus. And he entered into human history and lived a sinless life and died a death on a cross for sinners like you and me, was buried, resurrected, ascended, and will one day come to judge the living and the dead. Church, the heart of division is not disagreement, but allegiance to something apart from Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for this afternoon and the gift of worship through song and your word. By your spirit, would you edify our hearts to look to Jesus, to redirect our affection to your word to fix ourselves, to build our lives on the foundation that is Jesus. God, we are tempted to give our lives to so many things so that we might find meaning and purpose and identity, forgetting that you have given us identity as a son or daughter because of Jesus. You've given us meaning in bringing you glory with our lives and affection. You've given us purpose by gifting us to build one another up and direct each other to Jesus. God, we confess that we often do not love you with our whole heart that we often turn to perishable material to bring us life, leaving us dry and thirsty. But Jesus is the source of living water. And the good news of your word is what brings life to dry bones. Forgive us, encourage us, and strengthen us by your grace today. 